Well, if you uh, have been with us lately, you know that we're in the middle of a series in the book of Song of Solomon. It's a love story uh, that uh, brings a, a man and a woman together. It's a, a story of a king who goes out into uh, the world and finds himself a bride. Uh, she is not what most people would have thought a king would have chosen. She was a field hand that was forced to work the fields, and yet this king finds her and loves her. And, and we just watch her blossom in this relationship. We've moved through the part of their courtship. We've moved last week through uh, the beginning of their marriage as they had their wedding day and they consummated their marriage. And I want us to move on in this story today over into chapter 5 and, and parts of chapter 6 we're going to examine together today. But I want to remind you of the context of this because each week we need to keep the the the, the the context in, in the front of our minds. This was a love story that was a song that was sung in worship. So it was not meant to be nasty. It was not meant to be uh, rated R. It was something that was uh, a picture of a husband and a wife's love together with each other. But it's also a reminder to the Israelites who would have sung this song in worship of this, this incredible love and this passion that God had for them. It was a reminder of, of, of this... Um, this work that God had done to rescue them from Egypt and to bring them into relationship with him, of all that he had provided for them and all that he had given to them, of the promises that he had made to them. But it's also a reminder, as we will see today, of the fact that Israel, despite being chosen and blessed, many times was slow to respond to God. And this is going to be a reminder as we move through this story. Uh, today's portion is kind of a dream sequence again. We've already looked at one dream sequence back a couple chapters ago. Today she is going to talk about being in this other dream. And it's going to be a dream, a very vivid dream for her that would remind her of the, the dangers, if you will, of delaying when God calls. The dangers of holding back and being sluggish when her, when her, uh, her husband would, would call upon her. I want to be careful as we do this because I know it's a picture of a love relationship. In, in no way do I think that this passage is trying to say to a wife, anytime your husband comes knocking, you've got to respond immediately. That's not what this passage is trying to say. That's not the context of what we're talking about here. What we're doing is that the, the author of this poem, of this song, is trying to say that as a wife would respond to her husband, so we need to respond to Christ. And, and it's a picture of this love relationship we have with Jesus that when Jesus comes to us in those seasons when he draws near to us and he says, I, I want to be near you, I want to be with you, that, that our hearts ought to leap with joy and respond immediately to that. And when they don't, then we miss out on something that God had planned for us. And so here we are, it's this dream sequence, the honeymoon is kind of over, we've fast-forwarded now, and they're into the day-to-day relationship of, of what it's like. They've been dating and looking forward to the marriage. Last week was a marriage ceremony and all that went with that, and now they've moved forward into this relationship. We, we don't give a, we're not given a time sequence of, you know, six months later, we find our couple here, but this is a picture that they are well into their relationship, and, uh, and, and they are there. The groom has been away, we will see, and now he's returning home. We don't know how long he's been away. We don't know how far he's been. We're not told where he was. We're just told that he shows back up. And as he comes back home, maybe he's been off at work, maybe he's been on a trip, but he returns late in the evening and he comes to his bride. He knocks on the door and she is slow to get up. She in many ways refuses uh, to allow him in. We're not sure why. 
there could be many reasons for that, but um, it's a picture of how that God had approached Israel, his bride, and how many times they had been sluggish to respond to God. Um, God came knocking, had plans for his bride, his chosen people, and they would make excuses, and they would say, yeah, come back later. And so it's a picture of some of that that's coming about. The, again, this, this, this composer of this song is kind of using this couple to illustrate the results of refusing the Lord when he comes. It kind of serves as a warning, not in a way to create fear within us, but a, a warning that would fan into flame and, and to rekindle this red-hot love that sometimes wanes over time. Uh, it's a picture of God's great love for us and his grace toward us, even when our hearts are sluggish. So in chapter 5, we're going to pick up today in, in verse 2. And she starts off by letting us know it's a dream. She says, I slept, but my heart was awake. In other words, I'm, I'm asleep. And she's, she's having this dream. And, and, and while, she's, while her body is at rest, her heart is not at rest. It's uneasy. It's unsettled because of what she is dreaming. So this is that dream sequence that she's moving through, and she's going to paint out this dream. Now, when you're in a dream, you know things don't always work out logical or, or sequentially, and, and, and so it's kind of hard to follow the dream a little bit, but we're going to work our way through it. I'm going to uh, hopefully give you the best that I have as far as my understanding of, of what's going on here. So here she is asleep. She's in this dream. Her, her heart is restless, maybe because he's away and he's not there. Uh, sometimes when our spouse is out, we don't sleep really good. Sometimes when, when the one that we love is gone, we're, we're, we're not totally at rest. But here she is asleep, and yet her heart was awake. She hears a sound, and she knows who it is. It is her beloved, and he is knocking on the door. Notice he is knocking, but he's not kicking it in. He is requesting entrance into her room, into, into her to be with her, but he is knocking and she knows that it's him. She says, it's my beloved. There's no question about who it is that's knocking. She may recognize his voice. She may recognize his knock, but she knows that it's him that's standing right outside the door and he is requesting access to her. Now, what should have excited her seems in some ways, as we read on, to have annoyed her. <laughs> he is coming in. He is coming in later than she expected, possibly. And, and here's what he says. He knocks on the door, and then he says to her in chapter uh, 5, verse 2, Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. This is the same language that he used to describe her before they were married. So his heart for her has not changed. It's not wavered one bit at all. He has come home to her. He sees her as his sister, which is, we said last week was this, this phrase that they used in those days to describe her as being his best friend. So he's saying, open to me, my best friend, my love, my dove, my perfect one. He sees her as his perfect mate. And his heart for her has not changed. His love for her is still as strong as it was. And out of that love comes the request, open the door to me, let me in. For my head is wet with dew, my locks, my hair, with the drops of the night. So his arrival, it appears, is coming late in the evening. Uh, maybe it was a long day at work. Maybe he was off on some trip and he's finally coming back home. Uh, it's been suggested that there's two possibilities of what this means and two possibilities of why she responded the way that she did. The first is that he's coming in later than she expected. 
Maybe she expected him in for dinner and he didn't make it and she's upset and that's why she's slow to get up and kind of making excuses along the way. Possibly it's because he came later than she expected and she was upset. But possibly he showed up earlier than she expected and she was not ready. Maybe she thought he would be home tomorrow, and I've still got a little more time to get myself ready, to get myself prepared. I'm going to get a good night's sleep, and then tomorrow I'll wake up, and I'll clean the house. I'll get everything ready so that when he shows up, everything is perfect, myself included. We don't know which of those is, is really what she's thinking, but he shows up late in the night. He's, his, his head is wet with dew, and, and his locks are, 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 are wet with the drops of the night. So he, she shows up either too early or too late, but, but either way, he's not on her timetable. He's not when she expected him. And because of that, she's slow to open the door. Now, please understand, she's not slow to open the door because she doesn't know who it is. She's not slow to open the door because his heart has changed toward her or because he's done something wrong to her. But for whatever reason, she's slow to get up and to open the door. And so instead of getting out of bed and and unlocking the door for him, she begins to make some excuses. Here's what she says. I've put off my garment. How could I put it back on? (laughs) I've already taken off my my robe and and set it aside, and and you want me to get up and get dressed and let you back in the door? How could I do that? Here's a second excuse. Well, I've bathed my feet. How could I soil them? Dirt floors, right? If I get out of bed, my feet are going to get dirty. And you're going to want me to get out of bed and walk to the door? Now, I want you to contrast this with last week and the week before where she's leading up to her marriage and she cannot wait to be with him. You make me walk on hot coals and I'll do that to get to you. And now he's coming and he's knocking on the door. They're they're, they're into their relationship. Their marriage is sealed. They are doing the day-to-day relationship. And all of a sudden, what used to excite her now annoys her. He didn't show up when I was expecting him, and, and now he wants me to get out of bed and get dressed and come open the door? Now he wants me to get my feet dirty after I've already bathed and crawled into bed with everything clean? So what would have excited her now seems to result in this apathetic response. And so instead of opening the door, she objects and makes excuses. Neither of these excuses would have even entered her mind before. But now, for some reason, they do. And I think if we're honest with each other, we would say there's been times in our lives where we were so excited about this relationship with Jesus, there is nothing that would stop us from living full speed ahead for God. And yet, in the day-to-day grind of our, our lives and our schedules and everything that we have planned and that we have doing, that sometimes God comes knocking on our door and we go, yeah, whoa, 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 whoa. You want me to get up and get dressed? I'm, I'm clean. You want me to get my hands dirty? I'm, I'm trying to, 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 to do this, and you want me to go do that? And we began to make excuses sometimes when God comes knocking. Her heart has shifted from this selfless abandon to kind of a selfish indifference. Her heart has become sluggish, apathetic. She's closing herself off from him. She's not alone in that. We move that direction at times. 
In fact, in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, is John is writing a letter as Jesus is dictating to him and saying, write to this church. He writes to the church of Laodicea. You remember the, the complaint that he had to the church of Laodicea? You're neither hot nor cold, but you're just lukewarm. You're just apathetic. You're just right there in, in the middle of that. And, and in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, a verse that, again, is used many times in evangelism. It's really not an evangelistic verse. It, it's a verse where, where this, this lover, the king, is speaking to the one he loves, his church. And he says to his church in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door, and I, what? I knock. And then what does he promise them? If anyone hears my voice, like she has done, and opens the door as he wishes that she would do, I will come in and what? Eat with him and he with me. We will have rich fellowship together. This wasn't just an Old Testament problem. This was a New Testament church problem. This wasn't just a a bride not responding to her husband. This is a picture of the church not responding to Jesus and the church being sluggish in their response when God speaks. And so here here we see that same kind of dynamic that's that's happening at the end of the book of Revelation where where we're talking about the returning of the king for his bride. and, And this is a warning to that church that he issues to them. So it's not just her, but it's a picture of where we can find ourselves if we are not very careful. Verse 4, he says, My beloved put his hand to the latch. You go, okay, what does that mean? Well, in those days, the, the way I understand and the way I've read is that the doors that they had back then would have a hole through the door. Like we, we have a doorknob that we would turn. There was no doorknobs in that day. There was a, a hole you could reach through, and you could flip the latch on the inside. So you could shut the door on the inside, and it would stay closed. The wind wouldn't blow it open at night. But if you were outside, you could reach your hand through the door, and you could find that latch, and you could flip it open. But there was also a deadbolt on these doors. So if you wanted total security, you could slide the deadbolt. But if you just wanted to close the door and keep the wind from blowing it open, you just close the latch. And so here he is outside knocking. She didn't hear me. And he sticks his hand through the hole and he finds the latch and he tries to undo the latch. But the deadbolt must be locked. She sees his hand through the hole and she gets excited that he's pursuing her. Excited that he's there. He puts his hand to the latch and she says, and my heart was thrilled within me. In the Hebrew language, it means my bowels were stirred. <laughs> I'm guessing that's a good thing. You know, she, she sees him and she's, she's, something inside of her is beginning to stir as she realizes that that's her lover, that he is there, that he's trying to, to he's seeing. Did, did she just shut the door to keep the wind from blowing and open or is she really trying to keep me out? But the deadbolt was locked. The door is bolted shut. It's as if there's a sign on the door saying no entrance. Not welcome. And being the lover that he is, he respects her wishes. But her heart now has begun to stir. And this is what she says in verse 5. I arose to open to my beloved. I I, I wanted to open the door. Something within me now, this this apathy is being replaced by this desire to to, to have him here. And so she she gets up and she she says, "I, I arise to open to my beloved. And so her heart's decided to let him in. But evidently she hasn't prepared herself for his arrival in her eyes. She feels unpresentable, so she begins to prepare. 
Now, again, I know we're reading between the lines here, but look what she says. My hands drip with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt. So this is a picture of her getting up and, and trying to splash on some perfume. It's a picture of her trying to, 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 to maybe lotion up her skin and, and, and get ready. And so I, I get a picture when I read this, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think this is right, that she's lying in bed, and then she hears him knock. She sees his hand trying to undo the latch, and she, her heart goes from being apathetic to, to being responsive. But, but by the time she gets up and she tries to make herself presentable in her eyes for him, he's gone. I arose. Now there's time taking place here. I arose. I start getting myself all spruced up. And by the time she thinks that she's ready, he's gone. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. It, it's a picture of, we, we talked about this before we did the study of the book of Hebrews about this goodness gospel where I feel like I've got to make myself good enough. I've got to make myself acceptable to God. And so I'm going to work, 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 trying to make myself accessible to God, thinking that what God was after was some perfect looking person. When God, when God was really after was just me? Here she is. He, he's not coming to see her all decked out. He just wants to be with her. Sometimes, guys, when we hear God knocking, we say, oh my goodness, I'm a wreck. Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm a mess. I've got to fix myself. I need to go to church for a month. I need, to, I need to say some prayers. I need to give some money. I need to, And we start adding all these things we need to do so that we can make ourselves presentable to God instead of just saying, God, you already see through this door. You already know I'm a mess, and yet you're knocking at my door. Yet you're coming and wanting to be with me. And, and so while she spends all this time trying to, to get herself ready, he's like, that's not what I came for came for you. Maybe she was trying to pretend that she was already in the process of getting ready. Uh, I don't know, but by the time she finally gets to the door, he's turned and he's gone. And so in her attempt to make herself acceptable, she, she waits too long. I think that's a picture for us guys that we will never, ever in our own efforts be able to make ourselves acceptable. In God's eyes. No matter how many times you go to church, no matter how much Bible you read or memorize, no matter how long you pray each day, you cannot make yourself acceptable to Christ. He is the one that makes us acceptable. He has called her his beloved. He, he has called her his perfect one. But she didn't hear that or she didn't believe that. She thought, I need me plus all this other stuff. And the reality was, Maybe he traveled through the night to get home early. Maybe he wanted to surprise her and show her it wasn't about her being all dolled up. Maybe he, he, he came through the night and that's why all the dew and all the stuff was on her. Because he just wanted to be with her. And she thought she needed to do something extra to get herself ready. I opened, but my beloved had turned and gone. Her hesitation resulted now in her being alone. That opportunity to be with him was, was forfeited. And I think about the times in Scripture where it warns us not to quench the Holy Spirit. That when he speaks, that's the time we need to respond. When he calls, that's the time we need to go. When he, when he says, this is what I have and this is what I want, 
And I just want to spend some time with you that we don't need to say, can you come back in in an hour? Can you come back next week? As she realizes that he's gone, this is what her heart says. My soul failed me when he spoke. We hear from her own lips this admission of repentance. when, When he came and he spoke... I failed. I failed to respond. My soul failed me. She accepts responsibility for what she's done. She's not blaming him, saying, well, if he would have just called ahead or sent me a text, I would have been ready. He was giving me a little heads up. I could have done this. She says, my soul failed. I'm responsible. And she accepts responsibility And now she says he's not here. He's withdrawn. Now I want to make something clear here. He has not abandoned her. He has just pulled back. We'll see at the end of this dream that he is right back there with her. We've we've been promised by the Lord, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll never walk away and leave you, he says. But that doesn't mean that if I quench his spirit that he doesn't withdraw his presence. And give me opportunity to realize what life would be like without him. My soul failed me, she says, when he spoke. I I sought him, but I found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. He had knocked. He had waited patiently. He had even tried to undo the, the latch himself. But now he's turned and he's gone. It's a reminder of the repetition that we heard in the study of Hebrews where especially in like Hebrews chapter 3 verse 15 he gives us this warning and he says if you hear his voice do not harden your heart as they did in the rebellion it's a reminder to us that when God speaks that's when we need to respond so we say well I, I don't know when or where or what to do you just listen for the voice of God you abide in him and you let his spirit dictate all of those things for you and so she's sought him and she can't find him she's called and and he's not giving an answer So she hits the streets. She's alone. She's vulnerable. She's a lady on the streets at night by herself. But she's got to go and find her love. Verse 7. The watchman. Remember, they were there before. Now she encounters the watchman again. It says, the watchman found me as they went about in the city. But this time, look at their response. They beat me. They bruised me. They took away my veil. Some commentators would say that that was a, a, a vague way to describe some kind of sexual abuse that took place here. They removed her hiddenness. They uncovered her. She's beaten. She's bruised. Her veil is ripped away by the watchmen on the walls. When we're alone, we become vulnerable to those who may promise our protection, but instead offer us abuse. These watchmen, these guards who promised to protect are now the instruments of abuse and they took advantage of her aloneness. Think of how many times we live outside the will of God, vulnerable to Satan's lies and his attacks and his abuse. She turns to her friends, those daughters of Jerusalem, and she says, I beg you, I adjure you, if you find my beloved, if you see him, would you tell him that I am sick with love? 
So she's not just looking now by herself, but she's turned to her friends and said, if you see the one that I love, would you let him know I am sick with love? My heart has changed. Here she's not too proud to confess to her friends that she's had a change of heart. She's not too proud to admit that she's, she's repented and she's come back, that, that she has this incredible love for him. And I love what her friends do. And we could all learn a lesson from their response to her. Look at what they do. These friends that she says, hey, look, let me tell you a story. I, I did this and, and he did that and now he's gone and I can't find him. And, and I went looking and I've been abused and I've been hurt and I've been bloody and bruised and all these things. And, and I just need to have some help to find my man. And not one of them looks at her and says, well, you get what you deserve. Not one of them looks at her and says, well, if you don't want him, somebody else will take him. Not, not one thing do they do to heap this, this guilt or this abuse upon her. But, but when she says, hey, tell him that I love him, her friends do something that's amazing. Her friends help her to remember, to remember what she has in him. And they do this by asking her a question. Now, they already know the answer. They know the man that she's married. They're aware of the king and, and, and his grace towards her. They're, they're as shocked as anybody was that, that he would pick her. And, and, and they know who this, this man is. But they ask this question to stir her heart and to, to get it to really thinking back on what she's got and what she's given up by not responding to him. Look at the question they ask her. What, what is your beloved more than another beloved? Oh, most beautiful uh, among women. What is your beloved more than another, beloved, that you should, should thus adjure us? So it's a poetic way of saying, dude, what is it about your man that's so special? What is it about this love that you're now pursuing? What, what is it about him that makes him so good? Now, again, they already know the answer. But they're trying to stir her heart. They're calling her to remember all that she had with him. Remember how you laid awake at night before you were married dreaming about him and dreaming about being with him and all you wanted to do was just to spend time in his presence and to be there with him? You remember what that was like? Tell us that story again. Tell us about your man. We want you to remember. There's no lectures. There's none of this, well, you should have known better. There's none of this, well, I can't believe you did what? They just say to her, tell us. Why you're so lovesick about this guy? What makes him so special? What sets him apart? Revelation chapter 2, another church that Jesus was addressing. They, he, he does the same thing. This, this, the writer, John, um, as prompted by the Holy Spirit in chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. Uh, look at what, what he says here. He's talking to the church in Ephesus. They have worked hard. They are known for all of their good works and all these things. But he says, I want you to do this. He says this in verse 4. This is I have against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. You've left your first love, John says. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to remember from where you've fallen. I want you to remember that first love that you had and what that was like to meet Jesus and to know Jesus and to be in love with him. I want you to remember, first of all. But then I also want you to repent, he says. I want you to remember where you've fallen. I want you to repent. And then he says, I want you to repeat. I want you to do what you did at first. When that love was red hot, I want you to go back and I want you to, to, to remember it. I want you to, to have your heart changed and go back to that same kind of love. And then I want you to live that out every single day. I want you to remember, to repeat 
and then I want you uh, to, re- to remember to repent and then to repeat. And he says, and I will come to you if, if you don't, and I'll remove your lampstand from its place. And he says, but yet you have this uh, going in your favor, okay? Listen to what he says. You have this in your favor. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, who I also hate. Now he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. And the one who conquers or overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So here's what he's saying. I want you to remember. I want you to repent. I want you to repeat. And then you can reap the benefits of that. But he says this weird thing. He says, I, one thing you got in your favor, you, you don't like the Nicolaitans because they were sinful people. You don't like that. And, and it's a reminder to you and me that it's not just enough to hate sin. We need to love God. There's a lot of Christians who will spend a lot of energy telling the world what they hate, but very little energy showing the world who they love. And he's saying to them, here, I want you to remember. And so that's what, he's, that's what these friends are asking her to do. We want you to remember who you are in love with. Tell us about him. Let's just take a minute, and, and you describe your man to us. And she says, I'd love to. Let me tell you about my man. And she begins in the next few verses to describe her husband. My beloved, verse 10, is radiant. He's glowing. He's ruddy. He's healthy and stout and strong. He's distinguished among 10,000. He is the one that stands head and shoulders above the rest. His head is the finest gold. His locks, remember those drippy locks that he showed up with? His locks are wavy, black as a raven. Girls, here's some good pickup lines. We gave the guys some a couple weeks ago. Now here's yours, okay? His eyes are like doves beside the streams of water, bathed in milk, sitting beside a full pool. His cheeks are like bed of spices. Mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. Maybe she's describing the cologne that he wears and that she loves. His lips are lilies dripping with liquid myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with jewels. His body is polished ivory bedecked with sapphires. His legs are this, these alabaster columns set on bases of gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet, and he is altogether desirable. Reuben, that's the way Lynn describes you every day. That's what I thought. I heard the rumors, yeah. Here she is describing her man, and you know what's happening as she's describing her man? Her heart is welling back up with love. Tell us about your guy. Oh, my gosh, she says. Where do I start? This is who he is. Sometimes when people drift away from God, the best thing we can do is not to lecture them. They already know. But just to ask them, what was it like when your heart was fully captivated by God? What was it like when you first met Jesus and fell in love with him and and, and you would walk on hot coals to get to him? What was it like? What makes your God so special? And then just to sit and to listen as they recount for us all the ways that their God stands 
head and shoulders above the rest. Because as she paints this picture of what her loved one looks like and what he is to her and, and how that he is altogether desirable, her heart wells back up and fills back up with this love and this desire to, to be with him. And she, she finishes up and she says, he is altogether desirable. This, this guy that I'm describing, this is my beloved. This is my friend, my best friend. This is why I love that guy. How could I be so foolish as to lay in bed while he stands waiting at the door? How could I let my heart get sluggish for a, a guy like that? And, and, and her heart begins to, to, to stir up. Her, her heart is returned to him. Her desire for him is for him and for him alone. And she's saying, you know why I'm after this guy? You know why I'm pursuing him? And I'm not just saying, well, I blew that. Let's find another. Because there is no other. There is no one else that can be to me what he is to me. So that's why I'm searching. And that's the one I love. And that's the one that I've just got to find. I'm reminded of Jeremiah 29, 13. He says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Her heart is now all in. And she is now realizing what she's let slip through her fingers and what she desires to have most. And, and we get to chapter 6, and, 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 and the friends ask her one more question. They said, where do you think your loved one is gone? Almost, almost beautiful among women. Where has your beloved turned that we may seek him with you? Again, no lectures, no guilt, no shame. They're saying, look, we don't want you to walk the streets alone. We want to help you to find him. Where do you think he would have gone? Where was his favorite place to be? Who would he want to be with most? They're, they're playing the role of detective here saying, where do you think that we would find him? Where do you think that we could track him down? You know him better than all of us. Where, where was his most favorite place to be? Who would he most want to be with? And her answer may surprise you. Here's what she says. He loves me. He, he wants to be with me. I'm his favorite. I'm his beloved. I'm the only one for him. You're asking me where do, you, where do I think that he would go? I think that he would go to me. Not because I'm deserving. Not because I'm perfect. Not because I've got my life together and I've got my makeup on. But because he has promised himself to me. I am my beloved's. And my beloved is mine, verse 3. So look how she describes it. She says, where do you think he would have gone? Verse 2, my beloved has gone down to his garden. That's his little pet name for her. To the bed of spices, to graze in the gardens, and to gather the lilies. I think if he would go anywhere, he would go back to me. Now, that may sound really egotistical. It's not. She is broken. But in her brokenness, her love is stirred back up, and she remembers what they had, and she says, He promised never to leave me, never to forsake me. He's not gone forever. I think he'll return, and I think he will come back to me. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. And just like that in her dream, he is restored. He goes down to his garden, to the bed of spices, to graze in the garden and, and, and to gather the lilies. 
I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. No more locks. No more off-limit signs. Next time he comes knocking, there's not going to be a delay. Just delight. So as we close today, let me ask you this. How many times in our relationship have we allowed our love for the Lord to grow lukewarm? How many times have we grown sleepy and sluggish or selfish? How many times have we felt like that we need to to, to live out the, the, the goodness gospel where we try to make ourselves acceptable to God when we know there's nothing that we could do to make ourselves acceptable? Do we expect God to work around our timetable? To only show up when we expect him and when we want him there? Instead of getting ourselves ready and making ourselves available to him at any time that he comes knocking. Have we gotten good at making excuses to God for why we're not responding? Making excuses to God for for why we're not there ready to open the door. Do we say to God, well, God, I'm comfortable and that's not comfortable. God, I'm cozy and and, and that's just kind of chilly to me. God, I... I spent all this time trying to get holy and to clean myself up, and now you want me to get dirty again? You want me to minister to them? Do we come to God and say, God, I'm, I'm tired. You're asking too much. I'm busy, Lord. I've, I've already got my day planned, and now you're knocking and saying, you want part of my day? Or maybe we're just saying, Lord, I'm... I'm just resting. Come back in a little while. Maybe a better time. I don't think I fully understand the mystery of why God shows up when God shows up. I don't know that I ever will. I don't know that it's my job to understand why he comes when he comes. My job is simply to be ready and to be willing and to be available. So that if my God shows up and through his Holy Spirit, he knocks at my heart's door and says, Rob, I've got something I want you to do today. Or Rob, I just want you to carve out this day just to be with me. It's not about doing, it's just about being today. How about it? Will you give me your day? It's a mystery why he comes. But there's seasons when God tends to draw near. There's seasons when God has things that he wants to do to prepare us, things that God wants to do to deploy us. There's times that God shows up where he's got something in mind that may not have even hit our radar yet. And we just need to say, yes, Lord, I'm opening this door and I am listening to your voice. And for us to resist or refuse or postpone is to miss out and to find ourselves alone and vulnerable. Here's the takeaway maybe for today, at least for me, is that the king who has called us to be his bride wants to be with us. I don't know why. I don't know why he looks at us and and, and is so compelled to love us. I can't explain that. He knows us, and yet he loves us anyway. And in that love, he comes to us, and he knocks And he speaks, and we know that's him speaking. He reassures us of his love for us, that we are perfect in his sight. 
He says to us, there's no need to take time to get dressed. There's no need to, to, to take time to put on your makeup. You are beautiful just as you are. Just open the door. Just let me come in. And let's enjoy some time together. And in that moment, we remember that verse, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And he says this, this is to you and to me. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. We will share fellowship together. If you will just open your door. Open and enjoy. That's the call of today's message. With a warning that when we don't, we are the ones that suffer. And we are the ones that find ourselves in in a place that we don't want to be. So today, have you resisted the the, the calling of the Holy Spirit? Has, Has he come knocking? Has he asked you to surrender part of yourself or all of yourself or part of your day to him? And you've gone, this is not really a good time, God. If so, maybe today you would have that change of heart. Maybe today you would do what this bride did and say, you know what, I've got to find the one that I love. I need to remember what it's like to have a red-hot love with the God that created me and came for me. Maybe today your heart would turn back to him. And in that moment of turning, you would find him to be right back where he wants to be, right there with you. Don't settle for lukewarm. Don't don't yawn at at his approach and say, I'm tired. Maybe later. There's no better time than right now for us to say yes to him and to allow him to be the king who came for us. So what will you do today? Right now, he knocks at your heart. Would you just open that heart up and say, Lord, I am yours. I'm yours. I really, as best I can be, I am yours. Whatever that looks like, whatever that means, I am yours and you are mine. And that's all that matters. Let's pray.